welcome to What About Us, the podcast that looks at policies that affect rural Tennesseans. I'm Sandy Rice. So we have been talking about health care and taxes and school vouchers, and in case you hadn't noticed, our discussion starts with a policy, a piece of legislation, or something proposed. I was noticing many times in the news a politician saying, that's unconstitutional, in some political cartoons with someone walking through and tearing a depiction of the Constitution, or it's torn up in a wastebasket by a desk. This usually is the depicting a president, past or present. I thought, well, I thought, well, just what does the Constitution say about this and that? And then I thought, here's a policy that affects everyone and has since 1787. Why didn't I think of this before? So the first thing I did was to find a podcast that discussed the Constitution, because I like podcasts. I learned so much from them. It was called Constitutional, and it was produced by the Washington Post in 2017. I highly recommend it. It's not dry and dusty, but very dynamic and interesting with chapters like gender, race, the common defense, and taxes. It also puts a very human side to how the Constitution was written, the people who wrote it, and even what it is written on. Parchment that is tough but bendable, stretchable, and sturdy. The second thing I did was call my friend Bailey Minor, a student at the University of the South who is majoring in political science. Hi, Bailey. Hi, Sandy. I think we need to hear from and listen to our young people more, don't you? I do. So welcome to What About Us, We the People. So Bailey, introduce us to the Constitution. Maybe a little bit of history first? So a little bit of history. Um, In 1776, the 13 colonies sent the Declaration of Independence to King George over grievances about no trials and no trade to the rest of the world. Declaration of Independence posited that all men are created equal, have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Revolutionary War was fought over independence until 1783, and um, the 13 states had a lot of questions after their freedom. They had frustration and instability, and the Articles of Confederation were just not effective enough, and there was a need for central government. So the Constitutional Convention started in the summer of 1787. It uh, took place in Independence Hall. There were 55 delegates from the 13 states to develop a brand new democracy, a radical idea, an experiment in a world ruled by kings and thugs. It was very hot. It was May. The windows were shut for secrecy. So who was there? Before we go there, there is an interesting point that I'd uh-huh. like to talk about with the air conditioning. There's, um, there's a political theory out there, however out there it might be, by um, Stephen Johnson, who proposed that air conditioning and the, invent- the invention of air conditioning changed politics because older conservatives from the north moved south because they could deal with the heat with the air conditioning, leading to the election of Reagan because there were more in the um, electoral college there were more votes from these older conservative people who moved to the south because they had air conditioning okay because before that they weren't going to do that Mm -mm. well I just know that in the summer of 1787 their wigs kind of melted and they went out (laughs) drinking a lot afterwards so George Washington was there he was in charge Um, and he was a very neutral person. 
James Madison was the intellectual. Um, James Wilson was the philosopher. He was very concerned with the will of the people. Benjamin Franklin was an elderly statesman, also a very good chess player. And Alexander Hamilton from the Broadway musical. And what did they discuss? They discussed, first, legislation, the balance of powers between large and small states and the House of Representatives and the Senate, which were brought from the Three-Fifths Compromise because big states and little states could not agree on how we were to decide who got how many representatives. Okay, so it balanced it out. the big states said, oh, it should be overpopulation, and then Rhode Island and the little states said it should be the same amount, so they agreed on to a bicameral legislator. Okay, so this was a compromise. And so then they talked about the executive, now known as the president, not a king with unlimited power like they had had, who should elect the king, people, or representatives, and the electoral college. So it took them a while to come to the final decision of having one person, one executive, instead of they had considered for a very long time multiple people serving as the executive, but they did decide, as we know, on one person. And the judiciary, which is the Supreme Court, the people who, the law of the land, they keep everyone in check. And these first three things keep each other in check. The government, they all keep each other within the limits of the Constitution. Fourth, they discuss slavery heavily. Fifth, the Bill of Rights, which is a list of fundamental rights not to be infringed, freedom of speech, unlawful search and seizure rights, rights to trial not included as part of the Constitution. It came along later, so it's, it's separate. Yes. So um, a lot of discussion about slavery and the, and the Bill of Rights. There's mm-hmm. lots of compromise. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they weren't happy. Uh, no. it, they, they weren't perfect. In fact, the signers, 13 walked out, uh, some refused to sign, and 39 ended up signing the document on September 17, 1787. It was still really hot, too, so I probably would have walked out as well. Yeah. Um, to go north. Yeah. Necessarily south. That wasn't going to help at all. Um, the, the podcast on the Constitution really stressed that The Constitution was not a perfect document uh, made by perfect men, but it was pretty darn good and would need to be uh, tested, refined, stretched, but not broken, just like the parchment that it's written on. And it survived for 232 years. Uh, Of note is that in the U.S. archives, the Constitution, the original, is displayed between the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. And these three documents are called the Charters of Freedom. It's considered a blueprint for American values. Now, over the last more than two centuries, there have been 27 uh, amendments to to make it a living document, uh, and the struggle continues. There have been 11,000 attempts to amend the struggle to create a more perfect union. So let's talk about this, the preamble. Everybody has heard this before, but to outline the six things that it actually says. Okay, so we the people, as in all of us Americans, A, want a more perfect union, so a union that is not flawed by anything. So we wanted to have a perfect government, to strive for a perfect government. B was to establish justice. No one would get away with anything unjust or illegal. 
Um, thirdly, um, ensure domestic tranquility, so peace among the people. Four, provide for the common defense, so our common defense are branches of the military. Promote the general welfare, uh, the welfare for the people to help all people when they are in need, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. So we deserve liberty. We should have liberty, as should all of our descendants. So um, Article 1 is the legislative uh, branch. Again, uh, these are all considered equal. We have the Senate. Anything in particular you want to say about the Senate? You know Not, a lot about the Senate. <laughs> I do. Uh, nothing in particular, but just the basics. There's two per state, um, six years at a time, staggered elections, one-third chosen every two years. Um, you have to be 30 years old and have to be a citizen for nine years and live in the state that you represent, which are fairly broad terms. Pretty much anyone above the age of 30 that's been a citizen for nine years can probably run for Senate in a state that they live in. Okay. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. um, and the House of Representatives, they are, again, chosen by the people. At one time, the uh, representatives chose the senates, senators, mm -hmm. right? And that, that got changed. They did, yes. Okay. So you only have to be 25. So uh, citizens for seven years live in the state, and their terms are every two years. Um, these two uh, bodies are considered the Congress, and they're responsible for a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they elect their own governing bodies within it the governing body, which is interesting. They have committees. They elect their own officers, such as the Speaker of the House, which officers really mean a good bit more in Congress than they do in the Senate. This, the, um, the majority and minority leaders in the Senate are really just there to kind of usher votes along with the majority and minority whips. Mm -hmm. But the Speaker of the House has much more power, is in assigning people to certain committees and things like that. So now we have the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and then we have the minority leader, um, McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. I think his first name's Kevin, I'm not sure. And then a whole slew of minority and majority whips who try to get people to vote for certain things. And in the Senate, we have the majority and minority leaders, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, and the president pro tempore, Chuck Grassley. This position is, in a way, it's they are meant to preside over the Senate when the vice president is not there. Mm -hmm. this, was, this position was created when the vice president was thought to have a good bit more than he actually does so with the president pro tempore is really not needed that much okay. but okay. and the vice president of course is the president of the senate and he the only thing that he really has to do is break a tie a tie, a tie election 50 yeah senators so that could easily be become um deadlock you know i think that i think i've always kind of thought that a senator was a a little bit bigger deal but really the Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, uh, they originate the bills. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Senate can too, but it has to, has to has go, to go through back, both. Yeah. back and forth. And then um, the Congress is supposed to be responsible for um, anything with um, 
taxes or revenues mm-hmm. produced, all the money things. And also all, power of the purse, all the money. All the power things. of the purse, yeah. And uh, borrow money, regulating commerce, uh, punish bankruptcy, uh, punish counterfeiting, uh, and then also declare war. Mm-hmm. And we're going to mention that a little bit later, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, they, it's, senators can seem like they are a much bigger deal because there's only two of them per state. So mm-hmm. really, if you go for a state like Tennessee, one senator represents, what, six million something people mm-hmm. or a little bit more than that. One representative represents maybe 12 counties or so. So mm-hmm. it's a, mm-hmm. it's a bigger population difference but then if you go to somewhere like Alaska Alaska has or states that have such low population that they have more senators than they do representatives and then in that case the representatives hold a little oh, bit more electoral more power yeah. Yeah. yeah so with that but also to keep in mind that the constitution put forth the three branches to be completely equal so mm-hmm. they are equal in their own ways but with the House and the Senate, it's been said by many political philosophers that ambition must be um, made to challenge ambition. So Congress is very ambitious. They put the bills forth, but ultimately it has to go through the Senate to be passed mm-hmm. and vice versa. If Senate puts one forth, it has to go to Congress so they can approve it so it can go back to the Senate to be approved. So it's all very balanced. Mm-hmm. Good. I think we need that. Okay, um, in Article 3 is the executive branch. Of course, that's the president. uh, Serves for four years along with the vice president elected by the uh, Electoral College. Uh, The president takes uh, an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. I think all elected officials take an oath of office to do that. Um, Powers are the commander-in-chief of Army and Navy and the militia, if we had one. Uh, Reprieves and pardons. uh, is to work with the Senate regarding treaties, uh, makes appointments, which Congress uh, must confirm. Is that the Senate? Congress must, yes, okay. the Senate okay. must affirm. Um, gives a State of the Union address annually to both houses of Congress. Mm-hmm. And um, what else? With not the above president. the law. <laughs> president is not above the law. No president ever has been above the law. And he's not law. a king. Not a king. That's the Doesn't whole reason we have a president. get to do everything that he wants to do. Does not. Okay. Um, the, the judicial branch seems like a whole uh, other, other thing. But, of course, the Supreme Court um, is under the judicial branch. Um, everyone is uh, um, um, able to have a jury trial. They decide the types of cases that they'll hear. Um, oh, that's the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, why do why do I have treason under the judicial branch? Do they determine treason? They do. Okay, so what what is treason? Treason, in a nutshell, is being a traitor against your country. So doing things that would, in effect, be damaging to the country or betraying the trust or the laws of your country. Oh, okay. Um, had levying war against the United States. Anybody ever done that before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adhering to enemies and giving aid and comfort. We think about Aaron Burr, mm-hmm. again, from the Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Has this balance ever been compromised? 
think it has um, numerous occasions. It's been attempted to be compromised. For instance, there's been presidents back a while ago that would attempt to put, um, I think the highest number was in the mid-teens of justices in the Supreme Court. They would pack them full of justices from their own political ideologies and then which would save them from any you know harm if mm-hmm. they ever did have to go up to the Supreme Court but um, other than that there's been instances in which there's back in the early 1900s there was a speaker of the house his name was his nickname was the Czar I can't remember what his actual, actual name means. was but he became somewhat of a dictator in Congress and tried to make Congress more powerful than it actually should be. But it always balances itself out some way or another. And I think, I think historically the Supreme Court has made some bad decisions. They're not infallible, you know. Mm-hmm. They've surprised, mm-hmm. surprised um, folks. Um, we said we were going to mention the declaration of war. It's my understanding that Congress is supposed to do that, and we haven't since World War II. They are supposed to do that, yes. But, uh, you know, we've had some messy messy wars. Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, not a war. Not a war. Military action felt like, felt like a war. Uh-huh. I was um, young um, um, in those days, but I remember... It hearing discussed on the news and of course the protests and, mm-hmm. and yeah there's like that. there is that way around it where the president can declare military action mm-hmm. so it's on the cusp of war but it doesn't quite constitute a war mm-hmm. which also if you look historically any war quote unquote or any disagreements you should say that we've been um, part, taken part in if the United States did not have a significant win, then we do not consider it a war. Ah, I see. Uh-huh. Okay, so, well then that's why that's happening. Selective ownership mm-hmm. of political or military aggression. Mm-hmm. And then the Civil Rights Amendment. You know, mm-hmm. that was signed and passed, and it's it's still, I guess one could say is being battled but mm-hmm. uh you know what's uh desegregation and uh different things there's a lot of resistance to what that amendment um said so uh again not felt there's, not infallible there's almost constant disagreement over everything in washington <laughs> there's there's different interpretations of everything that you could possibly come up with mm-hmm. And that's why there's so many amendments. You know, if it was a perfect document, we wouldn't need, you know, 20-something amendments. And so that's, people find ways around it, and when people find these ways around it, we find ways to stop them from finding ways around them. So mm-hmm. amendment after amendment, we attempt, as you said, to make it a more mm-hmm. living and perfect document. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Supreme Court decisions or court decisions... We seem to have a lot of that lately, mm-hmm. and um, let's talk about um, what's going on now. It's kind of like the elephant in the room, uh-huh. the impeachment inquiry. No one's been impeached yet. We're just trying to check things out. Mm-hmm. 
Only three times in our history has there been, uh, in, I guess I would have to say, only two times. Two in modern One. history. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it would be, an impeachment would mean the trial by the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the impeachment inquiry was followed out with Nixon. But it never went to trial because he resigned before he it went before to trial. Okay. But he was technically impeached, as in the okay. technical term of the House passing an impeachment, um, articles of impeachment. Articles of impeachment. Uh -huh. okay. So he was technically impeached. It just did not go to Senate for the trial. Yeah. We, we were going to let Andrew Johnson rest in peace. Uh -huh. <laughs> he was a president after the Civil War. Uh, one similarity between all three impeachments of a president have been that they came out of um, um, some distress uh, in the in the country. A uh, wrenching time uh, preceded that uh, the uh, articles of an impeachment. I'm not sure if I can say that about Clinton. That that may not prove with that. But mm -hmm. let me have you go ahead with your information you've talked about this in class mm -hmm. quite a uh, bit quite a bit recently what a historical uh event to live through but uh tragic as yeah. well well historically speaking um alexander hamilton wrote and i'm reading from let me find the official name on this this came out from the house during the nixon impeachment and it's called House Committee, Print, 93rd Congress, 2nd Section, H522-6, published February 1974, and it is the Constitutional Grounds for Presidential Impeachment. Report by the staff of the Impeachment Inquiry, the Committee on the Judiciary, the House of Representatives. So, and this is why I invited a student <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> so this lays out, Congress set out to determine since Nixon was the first modern impeachment that we've had, we couldn't particularly look back to Andrew Johnson because there's so many differences um, between modern times and when he was impeached. But So they set out this document, and in the second part of this document, they lay out the historical origins of impeachment. So Alexander Hamilton, as I started, wrote in number 65 of the Federalist, that Great Britain had served, and I quote, the model from which impeachment has been borrowed. So impeachment was done in English parliamentary practice, um, and it was considered the most powerful weapon in the political armory short of civil war. So in this respect, and I'm quoting again, impeachment was one of the tools used by the English parliament to create more responsive and responsible government and to redress imbalances when they occurred. So the English Parliament used this as their own checks and balances. Mm -hmm. So if someone did something illegal, they would impeach them. And historically that held up with them and we decided that we should also have that. So... But maybe thought that the balance of powers would be, mm -hmm. um, would be more effective. Check, would be more effective, mm -hmm. but just in extreme cases. In extreme cases, we have impeachment. So the first Congress um, had the power, and they put it in the Constitution, 
and the impeachment was made to show, and it shows that the framers intended impeachment to be a constitutional safeguard of public trust, as this document says. So it's to keep us trustful of our members because we know that if they do something wrong, they can and should be impeached from office. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably enough on the major historical grounds of this, but so high crimes and misdemeanors was the adoption that came along and it was late in the convention and it's when the framers wanted to address the questions of what would institute an issue that a president should be impeached on. So these, um, this also was the word maladministration was thrown around, so not running the country right, and also trying to purposely do things that would further personal goals, whether they be financial or political. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are covered under those grounds for impeachment under illegal. So so the uh, framers of the Constitution are coming um, off of uh, a war mm -hmm. and ruling by a king who did a lot of bad things to the colonies, and that's what the Declaration of Independence is about. It really goes on and on. King George, mm -hmm. they said the first shots that were fired in his diary, he wrote, nothing really happened today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a good story, right? Mm -hmm. So they they just knew how, how people could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people in power, uh, you know, could be, and they wanted um, to do whatever you know, whatever they could mm -hmm. to make any, any safeguards. But um, um, So to look a little bit into the history before we get into okay, Nixon sure. and Clinton, um, the first American impeachment, because keep in mind, not only, it's not just presidents who can be impeached, it's also senators, federal mm -hmm. judges, anyone who serves public office. So the first impeachment was Senator William Blount in 1797. Oh, on allegations that he attempted to incite the Creek and Cherokee Indians to attack settlers of Florida and Louisiana to capture a colony of Britain or a territory of Britain. So if you look at that, it's quite different from a sex scandal. And so you could see then they used it for, but also serious cases the definition has kind of shifted because back then this was a very serious thing, but now we have telephones and all of mm -hmm. these things. It took and, forever to get the scoop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and then skipping a bunch of other federal judges and such, we can go to the first president to ever be impeached, Andrew Johnson. May he rest in peace. We won't talk to him about him too much, but... In short, as described by this document, he exceeded the power of his office and had failed to respect the prerogative of Congress. So, in other words, he subverted the will of Congress. And you, it's a big no-no, you can't do that. So, um, and this document also posits that behaving in a manner grossly incompatible with the proper function and purpose of the office is another way of describing what can be, um, be impeached, or employing the power of the office from an improper purpose or personal gain. So this is kind of the area where we're at now, 
and also in brief history. So if we go to, let me get out my other papers, if we go to Nixon, the first modern impeachment, we will see that on June 17, 1972, five men were arrested while trying to bug the Democratic National Committee's headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. And this timeline is from PBS. So from that point, keep in mind, 1972, there was not a trial for this break-in, this mass scandal and break-in for seven months. So if you'll keep that in mind throughout the three impeachments we're going to talk about. So seven months before a trial started from the point in which the crime was committed. So we go through a bunch of other little trials and they're trying to decide what do we do. Um, and then May 9th, 1974, the House Judiciary Committee starts impeachment proceedings. So it was done 1972 in June. Seven months later, a trial started for the Watergate break-ins. And then one year, three months from when the crime was committed. No, not from when the crime was committed. From when the trial was started, one year and three months, the impeachment proceedings against Nixon started. Two months from that were the start of the actual proceedings and the passing of the three articles of impeachment against Nixon. So it took a long time to get everything sorted out. And even then, August 8th was when he resigned after winning re-election, two years and two months after the crime was committed. So the whole impeachment process with him would have gone much longer if he would not have resigned. But overall, it took two years and two months. So do you have anything you'd like to talk about with Nixon, or shall we move to Clinton? So Clinton was a much different, it was very different from, from what we had with Nixon. So there were no attempts at collusion with different parties or anything like that. There were no break-ins. It was simply over a love affair between White House intern Monica Lewinsky and current President Bill Clinton at the time. So the House Judiciary Committee voted to launch a congressional impeachment inquiry against President Clinton almost three years after the love affair started. So three years after the alleged crime happened. So you compare that with the seven months for Nixon. Mm -hmm. Three days after the House of Representatives voted for impeachment proceedings to begin, two months and three days after the first, um, the first trial, the House Judiciary Committee approved three articles of impeachment against President Clinton. Eight days after that passing, Mr. Clinton is set for trial in the Senate. So the way that impeachment works is after the House votes for it, you go to the Senate. And the Senate is like a court of law for your impeachment. So Congress, in a way, is the prosecutor of the case. Mm -hmm. The Senate is kind of the jury slash defense slash kind of judges in a way and then the chief justice of the supreme court presides mm -hmm. so that is to me one of the most magnificent 
truly in fashion the way that we enforce the separation of powers and checks and balances is that the executive is kept in power by the bicameral legislator, one being the prosecutor, one being the so-called jury slash court, and then the chief justice from the third branch to preside. So I find that just as a political nut and a <laughs> lover of constitutional biddings, I just, it makes me happy to see that at work. So all of that said, it ended four months after that on February 9th, 1999. So 1992 is when this started. 1999 is when he was found not guilty. Seven years. And he was re-elected. Re-elected during this. Higher approval ratings than before. What were um, the three articles of impeachment for Clinton? Let's see if they... Lying to a grand jury, committing perjury by denying he had sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky, and obstructing justice. For trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So and he was found not guilty on these. Because okay. he lied to Congress. And also, it was a difficult a time because things were postponed due to a bombing in Iraq at this time. So also, a month was taken off of the trials because of this tragedy, and I believe it was Iraq. So... Mm-hmm. That kind of threw a wrench in things, and but ultimately they came back and voted that he was not guilty, and, and that timeline was from the Guardian. Always and, cite and your Nixon sources. was also um, at least obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nixon. It's it's highly speculated on whether if it would have gone to the Senate, if he would have been removed from office. But in my opinion, I think he would have. It was so clear that he had done something wrong and even his supporters had turned against him when the missing mm-hmm. tapes mm-hmm. were surfaced so mm-hmm. in my opinion I think that he would have and I think that's why he resigned to save face so yeah. well. and then there was also the the pardon for that too mm-hmm. so for his crimes that he committed not the impeachment because a president cannot pardon someone for impeachment that is a stipulation in the pre- in the constitution for presidential pardoning mm-hmm. president cannot pardon anyone who is being impeached but um they he did become pardoned for his crimes so okay and um clinton um continued to have a lot of public support mm-hmm. uh, there was less than 30 percent public support for impeachment um it, with the uh, Me Too movement, uh, maybe that would have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, might have been um, more public support for uh, impeachment. Um, but the country was in a good mood, and um, Clinton was popular and continued to be uh, popular. And in fact, his approval numbers uh, increased after the impeachment proceedings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was felt that people maybe kind of understood about the, the issue, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know. Well, impeachment then and now is still kind of a, most people don't really know much about it because it's not something that we see often. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, mm-hmm. in my lifetime, the impeachment was still going on for Clinton, but I obviously do not remember it. Mm-hmm. So this... This impeachment now is the first in my lifetime 
in some people's cases, it's the third in their lifetime, which must be very interesting to see how that's playing out. But you also see that these three have happened so close together, mm-hmm. considering the great scheme of things, how far apart, you know, from the founding to Johnson and then jumped to Nixon. So the American people in Congress obviously thought we had fairly good presidents between Johnson and Nixon, mm-hmm. or at least somewhat, you know, not not bad enough to impeach them, well, there just to war, lose their elections. World wars thrown in there. Also, yeah, as so, well. So that so also that created busy. some, yeah, very Not busy. me, I wasn't alive for those. I'm just going on record <laughs> since I counted up the number of impeachments I've lived through. <laughs> what, what, is, what is your class, what is your professor saying about what's going on now? Now is a very interesting time in our classes. So right now... The impeachment process started for Trump right as I was entering my legislative process class. It's an upper-level politics class here taught by the chair of the department. So she knows a lot about it, a lot about how Congress should work, what the Constitution says. It's her job. She's pretty smart. And so we talk about it at the beginning of class as for her not to push it onto us, she asked us, is there anything in the news that you want to talk about? And without fail, we always want to talk about what's going on currently because it's interesting, especially in a class when you're looking at how Congress should work, the structures in place, what should be happening, what is happening. It's vital to our class and to our knowledge of politics to stay informed on this and to look at it closely. So mm-hmm. so a big shift yesterday with the inquiry mm-hmm. um, voted on mm-hmm. along partisan lines and it's going to be, everything's going to be public now. What does that mean? We're going to get to see what the what was it, around 10 or a dozen Republican senators who or congressmen tried to beat down the door of mm-hmm. Representative Schiff's mm-hmm. private meetings. We'll get to see all of that so they mm-hmm. won't have to order Papa John's in the lobby of the Pentagon anymore oh, because see, like the they don't have to break in. constitutional convention. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have Papa so John's. So what this means to me is that people are going to have to start deciding where they stand on this. People, us people. People as in... Not only us people, but as in congressmen and senators. Because it's going to come to a point of legality and not partisanship, Mm -hmm. which there's been a blurred line lately with people. And it really shows you, up until about two weeks ago, there were people, including our own representative, Scott Desjardins. Hi, if you're listening. Um, There's... There's been lots of people who said that it's invalid, it's unconstitutional. That's fine, that's your opinion, and it's completely valid until proven not valid, which it was two weeks ago when, around two weeks ago, when a federal judge says it's constitutional. So now they're not pushing that, but they're pushing now that it's secretive and that's unconstitutional, that's undemocratic. And so now that it's going to be public, they're going to have to find something else to complain about. So it's... Is this in regard regard to um, being subpoenaed 
and then not showing up. Yes, and also I, I it, can't do that. And now that it's been voted on and everything's <laughs> becoming public and it's official, now that it's official, that means that as the Washington or the New York Times put it yesterday morning, because this Trump impeachment outline that I have from The Guardian was published yesterday, oh. and it isn't even up to date. I had to add stuff to it because more stuff happens all the time. And so with this, um, Congress has officially, as New York Times put it, sent the president an inv invitation to be impeached, mm -hmm. which is what happens. It's, And so now the president and his staff has been telling the people who have been subpoenaed to not um, not actively participate and not to comply. So this has been a very interesting point from a nonpartisan standpoint, just looking at the legality of it all. So you have Congress who has asked you to appear in front of them and to tell them what you know, your role in things. You have the president who is telling you not to do so. So it's a real blurry line on, you know, who do I listen to? Do I listen to Congress? Do I listen to the president? So that's something that's being speculated on now as well. Mm -hmm. And so now that it is official, it, it is an actual thing. It's happening and people legally must comply. So mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know, another thing that I have heard um, the last few days, probably the last 24 to 48 hours, is uh, people in Congress, um, the opposition to the impeachment inquiry. People on both sides as well, yeah, we may the point people out. Want, the people want trying to, I think, interpret um, what the people want and kind of put words in a lot of people's mouths. This is interesting. So there's a little bit of political theory for you. Okay. There's when you when it comes to representatives, both senators and um, representatives in the House, you have two basic models. Members don't fit specifically into one model or the other, but they're often much more one than they are the other. So you have the delegate model and you have the trustee model. And this has been, this theory dates back to a long time ago. Um, I can't remember exactly the date. There's a lot of theories up in my head, but it's, um, the delegate model is where, as it sounds, the people tell you what they want you to do and you do it. So if I was your representative, you asked me to pass a bill about there being another red light in Sewanee, I would go and I would do that. The trustee model, on the other hand, is the way that we often remember it in our classes is the trustee model is the trust me model. So it's mm -hmm. where the representative doesn't listen to what their constituents want, but rather they do what they think their constituents want. So with that being said, it would be as if I was your representative and I've heard you talk about how you want an extra red light. I go up and I say, well, I don't think she actually wants an extra red light, so we'll just give her a stop sign instead. So that's the trustee model is kind of... 
the trust me. Yeah, the trust me model. I know what's best for you. Yeah, I know what's best for you. I'm smarter. I'm a politician. I know what you want. So that's also, you know, there's often a difference at times between what the people want and what the representatives want. And that's where those two models can often Mm -hmm. come in handy Mm -hmm. for looking at a scope of what our representatives are doing. Mm -hmm. I think um, this people wants the truth. Mm Mm-hmm and transparency so if you have a trust me representative um, you might need to let them know uh, exactly what you want and, and maybe you can make them a delegate or... always talk to your representatives yeah. they're your friends at most times and most of the time if you talk to them they will listen and they may not do what you want but at least they you know at hear least your they voice. can't say well I didn't hear anything different uh-huh. so I did it this way thank you Bailey So now if we look as kind of a closing point of our impeachment conversation, I wanted to compare Trump's impeachment so far, the inquiry and such, with the other two in regards to the speediness of it. So if we look back with Clinton, it was, let me find my notes here. It was three years after the crime happened and came to light Mm -hmm. that an impeachment trial began. With Nixon, it was seven months from the crime. So you went from seven months to three years. Granted, Nixon's were more egregious crimes, in some people's opinion. Some may think that taking advantage of a White House intern is more serious than trying to rig an election, but who knows. So now if you look at the Trump impeachment timeline, of course it's not completed because we are just beginning. It's been two months after the crime came to light that things um, that things started coming to light about it, and so it was around the, the yeah, the, the phone, phone call. call. So the phone call took place on the 25th of July. A whistleblower complaint came out, and the whistleblower is what started the Clinton impeachment as well, okay. a whistleblower coming out. So the 12th of August, a whistleblower complaint came out. So that's what, 18 days, something like that, somewhere in there, 18, 19 days. So... August 25th, that came out a month later from when the whistleblower statement comes out. Or no, a little bit more than a month. 12th of August, the whistleblower comes out. Then there was speculation on what they should do. The 24th of September, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi announces a formal impeachment inquiry. So that was two months after the crime committed, a little over a month from when it came to light with the whistleblower. So a little bit quicker than what we've seen before. So now, October 31st, which was yesterday, it's been, let's see, resolution has been adopted confirming the inquiry as in last night that happened. Mm -hmm. So we are only a few months into this. This all started, it's all about the phone call on the 25th of July, Mm -hmm. and here we are the 1st of November, and the House of Representatives has voted on the resolution laying out the process and has adopted resolutions confirming the inquiry, making it official. So, in my opinion, this is moving quicker than we normally oh, see yeah. you hear that all the with time. impeachments. 
Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. And also in this time, even back in the 90s when Clinton was being impeached, there's just so much more information about everything all the time. There's these transcripts of phone calls, the phone call in question with President Trump and President Zelensky. We have that. And so what the president now is being accused of and being impeached of in Congress is that he has used his office to try to get help from a foreign government in getting political dirt on the now front runner it's kind of off and on some days, mm -hmm. but the now front runner, Vice President Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. So, in a nutshell, that's what he's being impeached for. Now it seems that there's more things that could be possibly happening, such as obstruction of justice with hiding these transcripts and all of this. But so far, the articles have not been put forth, so we have no way of knowing exactly what Congress is going to try to charge him with. And it's always the cover-up, too. Mm -hmm. The cover-up as well, the alleged cover-up so far. And So we're very early in this. We've had Gordon Sondland, Fiona Hill, uh, William Taylor, all ambassadors testifying. Mm -hmm. Bill Taylor, I read his 15-page opening statement for class, and we had a wonderful discussion about that. And he also talks about this kind of shadow government that's been happening, not to sound conspiracy theorist, because I'm not, but to me, if we have time to talk about it, um, Bill Taylor represents, he's a long-standing, respected, nonpartisan person in government. He served in the army or in one of the branches, I can't remember exactly which, he has served under, I think he started with Bush and and then he went to Clinton and then Bush and then served under Obama. All of this time he's mostly been an ambassador. Lately he's been the U.S. ambassador to Kiev and he was called to testify um, because Kiev is in Ukraine, so he was called to testify about this because he's been around President Zelensky and all of this stuff. And in this opening statement, and I'm not reading from notes here, so forgive me if I get anything wrong, but he talked about kind of Rudy Giuliani, first off, was mentioned nine times in his opening statement. So Rudy Giuliani for those who do not know, are, is the President of the United States, Donald Trump's personal lawyer. We think now tr President Trump is kind of saying maybe he's not, maybe he is, so it's kind of confusing. But Giuliani has been known as the President's attorney. Also, Giuliani was mayor of New York mm -hmm. at a time during 9-11. So, in all legal senses, um, Giuliani holds approximately zero positions in the United States government. Mm -hmm. But as Ambassador Taylor put forth in his, in his opening statement, Giuliani is kind of running things behind closed doors with foreign governments, which is 
kind of scary because to me that's you know the secretary of state's job mm-hmm. which is very unsettling for me yeah. so there's there's also other things that could come to light in this time but we really don't know mm-hmm. what will well it at is the a, moment. A, has, a, an, um, historical time and you know the purpose of um of the podcast is um to to use our critical thinking skills to encourage people to not have a knee-jerk reaction to any soundbite or item in the news to uh, take a moment and uh, listen uh, maybe have some allegation or comment uh, double-checked that you hear it from another source but I think of this impeachment um, comes out of a lot of divisiveness over mm-hmm. several you know several decades and it certainly um, has the potential to get much worse before it's all over so uh, again I ask listeners to um, read the Constitution it's only four pages long it's a little dry uh, as well as the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights I don't know Bailey if they still have cliff notes but uh, I, I they, do. they do and there's also Wikipedia uh, again, the podcasts that um, I found very helpful, um, the Constitution, Constitutional, not Constitution, Constitutional, Can He Do That, uh, also, both by the Washington Post and another one that was completed um, in 2016 called The Presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the reporter, uh, the creator of the podcast called The Presidents spent um, 44 weeks. I know, week. I watched all 44. <laughs> setting um, and the president that's um, and NPR uh, NPR politics is now um, daily mm-hmm. and that that's kind of a, a fun show I know some people it's a don't fun like show but also I would recommend reading the news as well right and, and we not only talk about that listening because reading is it's a lot easier to take away a partisan frame of things mm-hmm. when you read so mm-hmm. No matter what party you are, if you're without a party, it's much easier to read something, form your own opinion, than have mm-hmm. someone tell you what to think about it. Right, exactly. And we always encourage people to, to read the news. Um, uh, Chattanooga Times Free Press, The Tennessean, online, or go to the local library. Um, share, share your knowledge. Share your insight with friends and family. Seek knowledge. Use critical thinking. Uh, instead of reacting to every news clip. Uh, It's just exhausting. Um, We need to cut down on the divisiveness through knowledge um, and understanding. Um, Is there anything else you want to add, Bailey? In this time of political unrest, just take a moment. If you like tea, drink a nice (laughs) cup of warm or cold tea. It's getting cold outside. A little lemon. A little little lemon. little honey something else if you want and just just calm down and no matter whether you're a democrat worrying what's happening with the country and when it's all going to end or a republican worrying about what the big deal is why do people hate us um green party worrying about when we're going to get rid of plastic straws whatever it is just just take a minute and calm down and just breathe, read a nice book, and just enjoy life a little bit. Yeah. And that coming from someone that does a couple papers a week. <laughs> 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 Our student, Bailey, can, 
can relax and take a deep breath, we should be able to do that too. So thanks for listening. Tell your friends about What About Us. Uh, This is our 11th episode, so um, we're on iTunes and uh, Google Play.